I think the main barrier in Australia has been the political constituency. We haven't had the political constituency for affordable housing in Australia really until the last decade. The other big barrier to really moving on inclusionary housing in Australia is the continued opposition by very strong voices in the property sector, particularly the Property Council of Australia. Hi, I'm Dallas Rogers and you're listening to The Conversation Podcast. As house prices continue to rise here in Australia, more and more people are having trouble finding accommodation within their budget. The great Australian dream of home ownership is increasingly out of reach for younger generations. Across the world, governments of all political persuasions have urban planning policies that aim to make housing more affordable for their poorest communities. I wanted to find out what Australia can learn from other countries, so I sat down with Nicole Gurren, an urban planner from Sydney University. Inclusionary housing means that when new housing developments are planned for or approved, they include a proportion of affordable housing. You look at London, New York, San Francisco, Paris, virtually any city in the world, you'd be hard pushed to find a major renewal project or a major housing development that doesn't include a significant proportion of affordable housing, particularly when you're talking about projects involving government land. So that's quite a contrast to Australia to date at least. Inclusionary housing is an urban planning tool that has found some success offshore, but here in Australia it's been met with resistance. There are many different types of inclusionary housing policies. One approach, inclusionary zoning, requires developers to incorporate low-cost housing into their development or pay money into an affordable housing fund. In theory, it sounds great. Inclusionary housing protects our suburbs from gentrification, concentrations of disadvantage and gated communities. But it's a little more difficult in practice. Australian urban planners have been trialling these policies for almost 25 years now and we're still yet to see any real uptake of the idea. We've had a lot of experimentation in Australia with inclusionary housing, but not a lot of traction really until the last decade or so. It began in the late 1980s and early 1990s when there was concern about the loss of low-cost accommodation like boarding houses in inner-city areas. In the 1980s and 90s, St Kilda Council and the City of Sydney were both worried about their historic boarding houses being taken over by backpacker hostels. Both councils introduced inclusionary housing policies to protect affordable housing. The other big change in the 1990s was a shift towards urban renewal in inner city areas. Before that time, really, the emphasis of housing development had been on the urban fringe. And there was concern that, that those projects would actively displace low-income residents who had historical ties to the area. Urban renewal policies have had a real effect on housing affordability for Australia's inner city residents. In the last few months as Prime Minister, Bob Hawke launched the Building Better Cities scheme, which saw low-income inner-city suburbs provided with new infrastructure. But this had unintended consequences. As services improved, rents rose and suddenly the original residents were being priced out of their own suburbs. Today, New South Wales has turned to the idea of incentives for building affordable housing. 
the state government gives developers financial grants and other support to encourage them to build higher density accommodation for low-income earners. And initially, that was a big boost for affordable housing development in inner and middle ring areas because it allowed affordable housing to go where more medium density housing might not otherwise go. So that was a significant um, mechanism, but it came up against a fair bit of local resident hostility and so the mechanism itself has been wound back. It remains, but in a weakened form. This seems to be a pattern in Australia. When states or local governments attempt to moderate house prices, there is considerable opposition from local residents concerned about their house value or developers not wanting to compromise on their profit margins. State governments have full responsibility for urban planning, so local councils can only really implement ideas that work within the existing planning legislation. But South Australia is seeing some success with a policy that encourages affordable housing, without forcing developers to pay for it out of their own pocket. Under this scheme, developers sell 15% of their newly built accommodation at a cheaper price. So whenever land is rezoned for residential development or upzoned to allow high density residential development, there's a requirement that 15% of the housing in that area must be affordable. But unlike the New South Wales model, it's not affordable rental housing, it can actually be affordable housing for sale. So the developer is not having to fund the affordable housing component, they're able to recoup costs through sale to eligible low or moderate income earners. That's been a really influential scheme and it's starting to deliver a significant pipeline of affordable housing for sale in South Australia. This policy has seen some success, but because it only provides housing for sale, some critics say it fails to provide for the poorest in society. Australia seems to be enjoying little success with affordable housing policy, but overseas, things are different. In London, 40% of homes built on new developments will be affordable for low to medium income earners. Some developers in the UK are non-profit organisations that receive grants of well-located land from government to build affordable housing. Dutch citizens also benefit from large non-profit housing developers in the Netherlands. So in the Netherlands, the government's um, had a dramatic shift in the last 30 years from very widespread social housing provision to increasing reliance on the market mm. and on home ownership. And that's certainly been controversial and it's actually been associated with less uh, housing development overall. But, but one of the ways that the government has softened that transition to marketisation has been to require quite ambitious affordable housing requirements as part of new housing development in the Netherlands which has been less controversial in terms of the housing industry because such a high proportion of the housing industry in the Netherlands includes non-profit housing developers. And so there you see an example of the planning system working hand-in-hand -hand with both for-profit developers but also the non-profit sector to make sure that, that housing development opportunities suit both the affordable and the private market. So why has it been so difficult to follow similar approaches here in Australia? Well, unlike the UK and the Netherlands, Australia's public housing programs have always been a very small share of total housing stock. And the not-for-profit development sector is competing with private developers. Inclusionary housing needs political support from voters who are being priced out of the property market. 
but with 68% of Australians owning a home, people locked out of the market have not had a strong voice at the polls. I think the main barrier in Australia has been the political constituency. We haven't had the political constituency for affordable housing in Australia really until the last decade when younger people start to find that they're really pushed out of affordability, when older generations start to wonder when their kids you know, will yep. ever leave home. The baby boomers, the, children can't get a rental can't. property or buy a house. Exactly. And you know, increasing numbers of people moving towards retirement without mm. either owning their house outright or even still in private private rental, and that's a really big shock to the housing system in Australia. Australia's culture of home ownership is impacting affordable housing in another way. For most people, the family home is the most significant investment they will make in their lifetime. I think it's fair to say that existing property owners are also nervous about the idea that affordable housing in their area may do something to property values, mm. may even affect property values negatively. And as we hear governments saying, well, our solution to affordable um, housing is actually to increase supply, that makes people even more nervous. Does that mean that even just the idea of new housing development and high density apartments is also going to pull down property values? Of course, we know that, that it's not as simple as that. Certainly, affordable housing developments internationally are often quite good for property values, particularly in lower value areas and, and areas where the market's been stagnant. And then there's the powerful industry groups, who have significant influence on which legislation actually makes it through Parliament. The other big barrier to really moving on inclusionary housing in Australia is the continued opposition by very strong voices in the property sector, particularly the Property Council of Australia, which has consistently opposed mandatory inclusionary housing measures in New South Wales. There's been much less reaction to the measures used in South Australia, but certainly getting them into legislation seems to be the major hurdle. Australia's economic prosperity partly bolstered by the mining boom, has led to higher incomes across the country, and some young Australians are paying very large amounts for their first property. These home buyers also benefit from low interest rates and increasingly competitive home loans from banks. But low interest rates and easy access loans can also drive up property prices. So what can we do to make housing more affordable for everyone? The political answer has been to simply build more houses, but Nicole says this won't be effective in the long term. One thing that we do know from looking internationally is that simply increasing housing output doesn't do much to moderate price pressures when there's a lot of housing demand. The real pressures for demand really are around interest rates and very buoyant incomes in Australia and that's really been putting pressure on the housing market. So in Australia, the idea that increasing supply is going to resolve affordability pressures isn't very convincing from my perspective. Increasing supply and indeed making sure that we've got the right kind of housing is absolutely fundamental to a strong housing system and an efficient housing market. But it's not going to sort out the affordability pressures faced at the moment by people who can't get into the market, who can't afford home ownership and people who are stuck on the rental treadmill.